Hello and welcome to the third and final episode of Heresy Hunting. I'm Alfie and I'm joined today by Ethan. Hello there. And together we'll be discussing the scholarly debate surrounding Kafarism. I'll pass you on to Ethan now, who'll give us a brief summary of what we're going to cover in today's podcast. Thank you, Alfie. So, whilst the first two episodes of this podcast have examined both the draws of Catharism and some thoughts behind its true existence, this episode will mainly aim to look at the transitioning historical opinions within the study of Catharism, as well as different academic perceptions on the reality of Catharism today. Within this, views of different historians from the last 200 years will allow us to underline different debates within Cathar historiography. Through our analysis of these different historical narratives, we will thus hopefully be able to conclude the thoughts of all three episodes, shedding some light on the truth behind the existence of the Cathar heresy, and to what extent it allowed Pope Innocent III to carry out the Albigensian Crusade. We've sorted the work of several historians into three main groups, those being pre-revisionist, revisionist and post-revisionist. I'll pass you on to Ethan now, who will get us started with the pre-revisionist scholarly debate. Perfect. So the first line of historical argument will be pre-revisionism. This was an original historical study conducted by legacy historians. Notably, Western historiography did not address this overall existence of Catharism until the early 20th century. One of the first studies into the existence of the Cathars was conducted by a German Ariosophist by the name of Otto Rahm. So Rahm did a lot of research into the early practice of Arianism. He believed there was a connection between Catharism and the Holy Grail, and they had the key to the secret mystery. Consequently, in 1931, he travelled to the mountain peak where the fortress of Montségur remains, and this was the last Cathar fortress to fall during the Albigensian Crusade. His interest in Arianism sparked the interest of Himmler, and Rahm was thus adopted by the Nazi party in the early 1930s. Uh, the Nazis were coincidentally eager to discover the secret behind religious sanctity, much like Rahm. Uh, this work was, conduct, uh, was continued by Nazi philosopher and racial theorist Alfred Rosenberg shortly after. And just to clarify, uh, Arianism and Arianism, although they sound exactly the same, are two different things. Yep. So uh, the Arianism that Ethan's mentioning, uh, although he is talking about the Nazis, was actually uh, a rejection of the doctrine of the Trinity that arose in the 4th century AD. Uh, and it was, a, yeah, it was known as the Arian heresy, uh, as opposed to Nazi Arianism, which yeah. was a belief in a superior Aryan race. Yeah, so just continuing on from that, um, I guess in short, this early revisionist history reflected a very over-positive or optimistic view of um, Catharism linked with Arianism, as Alfie just mentioned. So this original historical outlook didn't question at all the existence of Catharism, um, but obviously this is an idea that we'll hope to touch on later in the podcast. Yeah, and as you just mentioned, Ethan, there was never a debate about whether or not Catharism actually existed yeah. until the revisionist movement. So what do you think changed? Yeah, I guess. So moving on to the early 20th century, the uh, historical revisionism was spearheaded by a man called Robert Moore. So this revisionism tended to uh, focus on questioning the formality of the Catharist heretical sentiment. Uh, so Moore questioned really the reality of whether Catharism was an institutionalized religion or a contract of this institutionalized religion. Um, Moore's work is indicative of a large historiographical trend towards the examination of how heresy was constructed by the church. And I think you've got a few examples, Alfie, of uh, revisionist historians and their, their beliefs. Yeah, so uh, one revisionist historian uh, who I looked at was Rebecca Rist, and she um, split Catharism basically into two parts. She had a mitigated Catharism and unmitigated oh, Catharism. Right. What's the difference between those two, would you say? So she said that mitigated Cathars were practically... Well, we're very similar to Orthodox Christians. Um, yep. They had similar views, uh, but they were anti-clerical in nature. They they weren't really adhering to uh, the Catholic Church, but it was more of mm -hmm. a um, protest against sort of the episcopacy of the church rather okay. than an outright um, rejection of 
Catholicism. And there was also unmitigated Catharism, which was uh, a far more extreme version of Catharism. And it's the Catharism that people seem to know about these days. That's the one where yeah, yeah. you're talking about like the vegetarians uh, mm -hmm. and people that are abstaining from any kind of sexual relation. So this is the far more extreme version. So you said that the unmitigated one was the one that we're more aware of these days. Would you say that that is the one that best describes Catharism? I'd say it's it's the one that's sort of been covered more, I guess, probably because it's more interesting to talk about. Yep. And also, as I'm sure we'll go on to uh, later on in the podcast, it's also because uh, the sources that we've had are all against the Cathars. They are all uh -huh. clerical sources. Yep. Um, so they'll be wanting to ex exaggerate whatever the Cathars are. They will always want to exaggerate them um, and turn them into more of a heresy, make them more of a problem. Yeah, I guess more sort of touches on that as well, as I was mentioning earlier. So he expresses that the clergyman had overemphasized the structure of Catharism. Um, but he also claimed that although heretics existed, the church had helped to manufacture their significance. Um, but then I guess continuing on from that, he's quite ambiguous because he does, however, summarize that historians may not be able to agree on the true existence of Catharism due to the lack of sources. Uh, I guess this is mainly due to the fact that a large majority of these sources and heresy come from the church and nobles rather than the actual heretics themselves. Um, and leading on from that, Moore, Moore's main argument, I guess, is that we can't settle for half a Cathar. Um, and I think this is personally quite quite faulted. So this um, idea would, I guess, state that um, whilst uh, historical discussion has been plentiful, there either were or were not a heretical Cathar movement. Yeah. I'm not sure what you found, Alfie, but I personally think this argument yeah, is quite ambiguous and vague. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Uh, I think... It is very interesting. It's, it's quite frustrating, actually, having no uh, sources, primary sources from Cathars. Yeah, for sure. Because um, it would be it would be great to actually, you know, get some Cathar documents. There was, of course, a talk of uh, the lost Cathar books, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe Mark Pegg actually claims that they don't even exist. So there's there's no there's no proof yeah, yeah. of these things. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting um, because there is no actual um, mention of a Cathar in any primary source. So uh, when Pope Innocent's calling the crusade, his letters are always mentioning the heretics, but never yep. the Cathars. Yep. Um, and while this is definitely uh, an argument, it's, it's, a, it's a decent argument, but at the mm -hmm. same time, you can't just use that as the crux of your argument yep. because um, just because a term doesn't exist at that time doesn't mean that the actual group doesn't exist. So there was a, they were labelled Albigensians at the time, uh, and that was... Um, the Albigensians were, basi Albigensians were basically heretics in the Languedoc who weren't Waldensians. So they, they'd sort of been labelled, those are potentially the Cathars that mm -hmm. are mentioned. Um, yeah. I guess that does lead into our conclusion as well, which is um, there, was, um, there was definitely evidence of heresy, and I think most historians agree with that. Um, but just because this heresy wasn't labelled as Catharism, it doesn't mean we, yeah. that we should discount the fact that Catharism existed in total. Exactly. It's, you know, uh, an example of this would be with the crusading movement itself. Um, when the crusades were first preached, they were preached as an armed pilgrimage. There was never a word for a crusade. Uh, it was only actually until during the Albigensian crusade that in primary sources you start hearing the term crusader. Yep. So just because the term wasn't about, it doesn't mean that the Cathars weren't about. Yeah. And I think that leads quite nicely to the final line of um, historiography, which is post-revisionism. And I think we've spoken about him earlier on, uh, Mark Pegg, who is a, quite a polarising figure in the debate surround, surrounding Catharism. Okay. And he is someone that, uh, would you agree, even that he sort of spear, spearheaded the post-revisionist movement? Yeah, so he was one of the first historians to fully address uh, the genuine existence and the, the overall existence of um, the Cathars. So this uh, sort of final line of inquiry 
is potentially the most extreme and is known as post-revisionism. It's rather debatable, modern approach to Catharism. Um, but yeah, it talks about the fundamentals of Catharism, basically rejecting the fact that it existed overall. Um, so yeah, Mark Pegg has quite detailed work on the paradigm of Catharism or the historian's illusion. So what do you think about uh, Mark Pegg's overall argument here, Alfie? Uh, well, it, it's a refreshing argument, absolutely. Yep, um, I agree. Uh, he's come way out of left field with it. And it's actually quite a compelling argument as well. It yep. is drawing a lot of what we've just spoken about um, with a primary scholarship, um, talking about the lack of the term Cathar. There's not much labelling going on. Uh, and yeah, he, he, he has a lot of um, lot of examples of where uh, Catharism is very similar to other heresies around at the time. Yep. And basically the crux of his argument is that these heresies were almost grouped together uh, and just a bit of an amalgamation of all of them turned into Catharism and it was mm. just exaggerated by the, the Catholic Church yep. um, potentially for them to expand their own influence in the region. Um, but he, yeah, he mainly just doesn't believe that Catharism was it was real on its own. Yeah, I think the word used was polarising there. I think that sort of summarises it quite nicely because um, although he's got good points and yeah, Catharism isn't mentioned um, too heavily there's definitely evidence and even in modern historiographies that the same way he's mentioned it now in the same era there's definitely evidence that the Cathars existed so I guess that would lead our overall argument to suggest that um, the Cathars certainly existed but it was definitely um, uh, exaggeration um, it, it, we could also talk about um, Mark Pegg mentioning um, that Pope Innocent III wanted to call a crusade to, sp uh, to spread political motivations of the church anyway so he's sort of discounting that Catharism or even heresy was a thing there. He's saying that the Pope was just eager to um, sort of spread political motivations of the church in the Languedoc anyway. And that is something that Pope Innocent was known for. Yeah. Um, he went on crusade quite a few times. Of course, he was um, uh, the Pope in charge of the Fourth Crusade, which was yep. a, a huge moment in history. Really, uh, many people might say it was the beginning of the end for the Byzantine Empire. So he, he was a very... Mm -hmm big player in the European game and uh, I believe at this time uh, a few historians have stated that papal authority was at its highest mm -hmm. so Pope Innocent yeah you you can't um, have a go at him for wanting to expand his own um, not necessarily his own territory but yep. his uh, his own sphere of influence around Europe and that was something that he was doing quite heavily in the time mm. um, but Catharism does have quite a, a big legacy in the Languedoc um, even to this day it's known as Cathar country yep. uh, in some regions and some places there are there are like Cathar tours that go on it's almost yep. seen as a bit of an oddity especially um more so the inquisition and the crusade because that's when things started getting quite brutal you know a lot of people mm -hmm. getting burned alive it's almost like an attraction like like London dungeons for yep, instance. Yep. you know you have in London you've got um how Jack the Ripper mm -hmm. is now a figure and he's uh he's mentioned there's lots of um exhibits yeah, on, yeah. on Jack the Ripper and things like that is similar in the Languedoc with Catharism. Mm. So I think it's a, a very interesting argument that Mark Pegg, you know, not believing that Catharism existed. But I think, like you said, there's definitely a lot more evidence suggesting that it was a thing. Um, and especially considering now the legacy that it has in the region and the identity um, For sure. of like Occitan, uh, the region itself, sort of a, a medieval uh, lineage coming back to coming back to Cathars really so yeah uh, an interesting argument what do you think about it then Ethan what would you I, say I guess you've summarised it quite nicely there Alfie but um, Mark Pegg is yeah it's quite an extreme polarising argument um, but 
He's got a few good points about the fact that Innocent III um, would want to uh, call a crusade anyway. But as you were saying about the sort of history in the Languedoc about the Cathars, to discount the fact that there was any existence of them in the first place, um, yeah, I guess that's a step too far for me. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Ethan. Uh, and I think really to conclude, uh, we seem to be on the same page here. 100%. Catharism, it was real. Yep. Um, in some form, it was real, you know, although, of course, in the primary literature, there's no specific mention of Cathars. We do agree that there were was a, a Cathar heresy, however big. Uh, I, I mean, I personally think it was quite exaggerated by the church. Do you agree? Yeah, but I think over the course of these three podcasts, we've, we've shown that quite nicely. Yeah. That, um, it, it, although it did, definitely was there, uh, we can't discount that it didn't exist altogether. But yeah, it was definitely uh, exaggerated by the church for political and religious uh, motivations, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Ethan. So, right, there we go again, guys. Thank you very much for listening to these three episodes of the podcast, Heresy Hunting. We've hoped you learned something new about the existence of Catharism or just the Albigensian Crusade and the Cathar heresy in general. So, but we hope you found it as insightful and interesting as we have. And all six of us look forward to any comments or feedback you have. Yeah, a big thank you to Otto, Oliver, Jamie and Emma for joining us on this podcast. And as Ethan said, we really hope you guys have enjoyed. Um... Catharism itself is not a very, it's not a black and white subject. There's a lot of debate to be had with it. So it'd be really great if you guys could uh, let us know what you think. Let us know your thoughts and uh, maybe if our podcast has changed the way you thought. Mm. Even if you disagree with us, please. Yeah, let yeah us absolutely. Know. So yeah, so thank you from me, Ethan. And thank you from me, Alfie. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you very much.